This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Because He lives, He can change your life and your eternal destiny. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and we are going to talk about the fact that uh, not only was Christ buried and raised and is alive, but in him, in him, that same thing can happen to us. Luke chapter 23 And we're going to pick it up at the end of that chapter and beginning with verse 50 and then read through chapter 24 and verse 39. So we have been in a series on the gospel of Luke and we've been focusing on material that is unique to Luke that is not seen in the other three gospels. And so the encounter that Jesus has with the two on the road to Emmaus is seen only in Luke. And so we're going to look at that later on in the message. But we're going to begin at the end of chapter 23 and in verse 50. And at this point, Christ has just died. His body is, in fact, still hanging on the cross. And we pick it up there, beginning in Luke 23 and verse 50. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. 
but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? (laughs) What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were, who, who were with us uh, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a risen Savior, and we thank you that he still encounters people today. And Lord, we pray that you would encounter us now in the power of your Spirit as we study your word. Lord, you are alive. Come to us now. Minister to our hearts Encounter us and give us open hearts, burning hearts and open eyes to see, to hear, and to open our hearts and to live the new lives that you have called us to live. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So before people become members of our church, sit down and talk with them, and there's a, a question that I always ask. I, I'll, I'll ask them, explain to me like, you know, your 60-second version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is the most important question. It's what Christianity is, is based on, the, the gospel. 
The word gospel in the Bible, in, in, in Greek, it's the word euangelion, and it just means good news. So what is the good news that is at the heart of Christianity? Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 gives us a clear, succinct summary of that good news. He says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not good advice. Christianity is good news. It's good news about things that actually happened, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And we're going to talk today about those things that actually happened, but we're going to do something else. We're going to talk about how when we are united to Christ by faith, those things happen within us as well. So first of all, we are buried with Christ buried with Christ. So let's look at, at the end of Luke 23 and look at verses 50 through 53. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been so what do we see about this man here? Joseph of Arimathea. He was a man of integrity. Uh, verse 50 says that he was a good and righteous man. Verse 51 says that he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. So uh, Joseph was real. His faith was real. It had made an impact on his character. He was a man of, of integrity. He was also a man of great courage. We see here in, in verse 51 that he, although Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the, the high religious court that had actually sentenced Jesus to death, that Joseph had not gone along with his peers in the Sanhedrin. It says in verse, in verse 51 that he had not agreed with their plan and action. So it took tremendous courage to stand against his peers in that moment. Joseph was essentially throwing away his career, his social standing. All of that was out the window when he did not stand with them. And then he shows even more courage because he goes to the Roman governor, Pilate, and asks for the body of Jesus. Verse 52, he approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. So Pilate was the Roman governor who had actually signed the death sentence and actually carried out the crucifixion. Pilate, we know not only from the Bible, but also from extra biblical sources, was incredibly brutal. He murdered so many people. Joseph of Arimathea, in approaching Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus, is basically saying, I am aligned with Jesus as well. He was putting his own life on the line in doing this. Some years ago, I was in Bangladesh. And so we were there and speaking at a a conference and some followers of Jesus had, had gathered there. Many of them were late because they had been attending the funeral of one of their own, a fellow follower of Jesus who had been martyred 
for their faith. And, uh, and so we, we were there at this, this conference, and there were some people who were being baptized as well. And I was, I was listening to the baptism preparation that these people were, were, were going through before their baptism, and, and they were being asked a series of questions. And one of the questions they were asked before their baptism was, are you willing to die? Because to follow Jesus in that place and in that culture might very well mean that you're going to die. And it meant that in the first century as well. And so clearly, Joseph is willing to die because of his faith. What has happened to him? What's happened to this man? The other gospels help us fill in the details. Matthew 27 and verse 57 says that Joseph had become a disciple of Jesus. He had actually crossed the line and become a follower of Christ himself. But at first, that was not open. John 19 and verse 38 says that at first it was secretly because of his fear. But now he throws caution to the wind. Mark 15 and verse 43 says that he boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. There's a sense of abandon here in Joseph at this point. In the classic World War II series, Band of Brothers, there's an American soldier, a, a Lieutenant Spears, who, who, who fights with this sense of, uh, of absolute abandon, incredibly courageous in battle. And one time he's having a conversation with a young private, and the young private confesses to him that on D-Day, he had, he had stayed in a ditch all day long and, 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 and not fought. And Lieutenant Spears leans over and he says, Private, do you know why you stayed in that ditch? And the young soldier says, I was scared. And Lieutenant Spears says, we're all scared. The reason that you stayed in that ditch is that you still have hope. But Private, you need to understand that the only hope that you have is to understand that you're already dead. In other words, you're never going to be able to fight you know, with a sense of abandon and do what needs to be done as long as you're holding on and trying to preserve your life. This is where Joseph is at this point. He's clearly no longer trying to preserve his own life. We see that here in his courage. And he is joined. The Gospel of John tells us that at this point, as they're doing the burial of Jesus, Joseph is joined by a man named Nicodemus. Now, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had much in common. They were both prominent men, prominent religious leaders who had not gone along. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Most of the Pharisees were bitterly opposed to Jesus. Nicodemus had not gone along with him, with them. And so Nicodemus, we meet him in John chapter 3, in verses 1 through 3. He comes to Jesus, and they have this fascinating conversation. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, a couple of things about this. First of all, notice in, in, uh, in, in, in verse 2 
that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes under the cover of darkness because he's petrified. He's afraid of what his friends will, will say, that they'll, that they'll condemn him for associating with Jesus. It's fearful. We also see here that he probably comes wanting sort of, you know, more information, new information that Jesus can give, but Jesus says back to him, what you need is not just new information, you need a new life. You need to be born again. See, Christianity is not about sort of adding an appendix to the book of our lives. It's about a whole new story. It's about a new life. And something happened in Nicodemus' life. Because by the time we get to John 19, he's there with Joseph of Arimathea, preparing Jesus' body for burial. And John 19, 39 says that Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. These were spices that they would anoint a dead body with. And listen, this is, is an amount of incredibly expensive spices that was fit for a king. This was the kind of, this is the, the amount of spices that you would bring for a king's burial. Now, why do all four gospels give us so much detail about the the burial of Jesus. I mean, you're seeing like a high level of granular detail about his burial. Why? Why does the Apostle Paul, in his summary of the gospel, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, stress there in the middle that he was buried? It's because they want us to understand that Jesus was literally dead like really dead, all the way dead, buried dead. But here's something that's amazing. When we are united to Christ by faith, when we turn to Jesus and trust him as our Savior and Lord and King, there's a sense in which we experience a burial. Earlier in our service, you, you witnessed a baptism. And Baptism is picturing this very thing. When someone is, is, is lowered beneath the water, it's picturing burial. When they're raised up out of the water, it's picturing resurrection. And that is not only what happened to Jesus, it is what has happened to us as followers of Christ. The old you is gone, it's buried. And you were raised to live a new life. Romans 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. I was watching a documentary about um, the 2001 New England Patriots football team. That was the first year that they, they won the Super Bowl. I'm not a Patriots fan, but that was a, a great documentary. Uh, but in the documentary, uh, the, when they started, they, the Patriots never won anything at that point. And at the beginning of that season, they were, they were playing poorly, and uh, they had just come off of a terrible loss the previous week. And so their coach, Bill Belichick, gathered all the guys together on that Monday uh, after this awful loss 
and uh, he gathers them together, and he's standing there, and he has two things in his hands. He has the game ball that they had played that terrible game with, and in the other hand, he has a shovel. <laughs> and so he said, here's what we're going to do with Sunday. Here's what we're going to do with the game ball that we played so badly with. And he takes the ball, literally digs a hole in the ground, and buries the football. There's a sense in which in order to, to move forward, you know, we have to turn the page. And in Christ, what has happened is that, you know, all of our, all of our sin, all of our past, all of our shame, it's buried. It's, it's buried in the depths of Christ's love and forgiveness. You know, and we are raised to live a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Buried with Christ. Second, raised with Christ. Raised with, with Christ. So, at the end of, verse, of chapter 23, we see that there were some women followers of Jesus who were observing very carefully as Jesus was buried. Look at the end of chapter 23 in verses 55 and 56. It says, The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandments. So, now, on the third day, Sunday, they come and they, they have the, the spices that they have prepared to anoint the body of Jesus. They come to the tomb and there's weird things. First of all, there's no stone. The massive stone has been rolled back. It says in verses 1 and 2, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So no stone. Then they walk into the tomb and no body. Verse 3, they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And suddenly, as they are perplexed, now listen, there's no indication at this point that they're thinking resurrection. <laughs> like that's not even a category. <laughs> even though Jesus has raised people from the dead, and they've witnessed that. Still, like this is just not where the natural mind defaults to. Uh, they're not thinking resurrection at this point. They're perplexed. Other Gospels indicate there's a level of distress in them, and then suddenly out of nowhere, verses 4 and 5. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. There's this blinding light. You know, they could have just turned away from the light, but no, they bow down. They understand. They are in the presence of the holy. These are angels. And they are angels with a question. <laughs> we see the question here at the end of verse 5. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You remember the old days of uh, GPS technology? Some of you can remember this. My kids can't remember this, but uh, some of, many of you can. And uh, early days of GPS, you know, and you, ha you had these big, heavy things you would attach to the to the window, 
And, uh, you know, I, I mind you had these suction cups. You would kind of stick it to the glass, big old, big old heavy, heavy contraption. And sometimes the, the suction cups would come loose from the weight and the thing would just come crashing down on my dashboards. Wonder didn't cause an accident like that. But it could also cause an accident for other reasons if I paid a lot of attention to it because often the information was wrong. The satellite, it wasn't keeping up with the new reality on the ground. The satellites weren't. And so, you know, it would tell you to turn, and there, there was no turn. Or maybe if you turned there, it would be big trouble because it was old information leading you to the wrong place. Listen, they're in the wrong place <laughs> because they're dealing with old information. They are in a tomb where dead people are supposed to be. Jesus is no longer dead. Verse 6, the angels say, he is not here, but he has risen. And then these women have the honor of being the first messengers to go forth and to tell this good news. And so they go back and they, 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 they tell the, the remaining uh, dis- disciples, you know, all, everything that, they, that has happened. And they're dismissed. They're essentially blown off. You know, you're just delusional. You're having a vision. But one of them, Peter, takes off in a sprint. And we see in verse 12 that Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now, it's interesting we saw in chapter 23 and verse 53 that when, they, they, when, when Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus down from the cross, that he wrapped it in fine linen, incredibly expensive. But, you know, nothing was too great for Jesus. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a, a man of, of, of means, and so, you know, he goes all out, wraps the body in this incredibly expensive fine linen. Well, in the first century, sometimes there were uh, grave robbers that would rob graves, but what they were really after was the grave clothes. Well, this would have been the heist of heists. You know, this, this was the best linen, the most expensive linen that could possibly be imagined. But this isn't grave robbery. No, those, those linen cloths, they're right there. They're right there. Peter, Peter knows this is no grave robbery. You know, he's, it's beginning to dawn on him. It says here that he is amazed. There are five Greek words for amazed, and all five of them are in Luke. One commentator, Michael Card, and has, has, has called his book on Luke the gospel of amazement. Now again, we see in the accounts of Christ's resurrection, you know, a high level of granular detail. The gospel writers are at pains to, you know, to, to make this clear, you know, that this is something that is happening in real space and time. We, we see in verse 1 of chapter 24 that it's on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. In Paul's summary of the gospel, in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he, he says that he was raised on the third day. Why? Because they're stressing 
that this is, you know, this is not some dream sequence. This is not some, you know, nebulous thing that just sort of happened in people's minds. No, this is, this is something that happened in real space and time. Real history, a real event. But again, there's something else that's amazing. The Bible says that when we come to Christ, that we are united with him in his resurrection. Now, in the life of a follower of Christ, there is one resurrection that has already happened. Ephesians 2 and verses 4 and 5 tell us about it. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. That resurrection has already happened in our lives, right? We were once dead in sin, and now, praise God, we have been made alive as followers of Christ, just by his grace. When Christ returns, we're going to experience another resurrection. We're going to get new bodies at that resurrection. We're going to be raised with glorified bodies like the one that he had when he came out of the tomb. Philippians 2 and verses 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Want to be wonderful to have glorified bodies, you know, bodies that are no longer subject to uh, aging or illness or disease or sin or death. Romans 6, 5 says, if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. But are you united to Christ by faith. One day Jesus was talking with a friend named Martha. And he says to Martha in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? raised with Christ. Third, alive with Christ. Now we come to this incredible encounter that Jesus has with these two on the road to Emmaus. It begins with them walking along from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They've been in Jerusalem as all these things are happening. They've seen the crucifixion. They've heard the testimony of the women, but they didn't believe it. And so these two are just walking along and they're having, they're engaged in this animated conversation. And it's not a happy conversation. They are discouraged. They are distressed. And as they are walking along, Jesus comes up beside them. But they don't recognize that it's him. Again, <laughs> dead people don't rise. They have no category for this. And so Jesus comes up alongside them and, and hears their, their conversation. And he says, he says to them, probably suppressing a smile, 
what are these things that you're talking about as you walk along the road? And then they stop and they look at him and one of them says, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening there? Well, as it turns out, he was the only one who truly did know exactly what had been happening there. But Jesus, again, maybe suppressing a smile, says, what things? He's drawing them out. And so they begin to unpack it. You know, we, Jesus, we, Jesus showed the power of God. We, you know, we had all kinds of, all of our, ho- our hopes were in him. But now our hopes have been destroyed and Jesus has been crucified. And there were some women that were, that were part of our, our group and they came and they said that, you know, uh, that he was alive and that, you know, angels had appeared to them, but, you know, they had dismissed all of that. And then Jesus lovingly rebukes them. He says, how slow you are to believe. You know, and that question is directed to us as well. I mean, how, how slow we are sometimes to believe. How slow we are sometimes to, to, to get our, our mind from, you know, a, a paradigm where de- dead people don't rise to understanding that Jesus has risen and the difference that makes in our life. Jesus lovingly rebukes him, how slow you are to believe. Because you know, not only have I been right in front of you, not only have the women given you their testimony, but you've had the testimony of the scriptures, the Old Testament that you were raised with, that you have not believed. And then Jesus gives them the, the Bible study of all Bible studies, how I would have loved to have been there. And he walks them through all of the Old Testament and, and, and how it had, all, it had all pointed to, to, to him. And they still don't, they don't understand yet still who he is, but they know that something's happening in their hearts. Something powerful, something they can't yet describe or articulate. Something's happening. And so they, they say to Jesus in verse 29, stay with us. Stay with us. You know, when you get a taste of Jesus, you want more. You always want more. Stay with us. And it's as they, as they sit down to eat, and as Jesus is, is reclined at the table and he's breaking, breaking the bread, something that they had seen him do many, many times as he ate at the table with them, that the Spirit of God opened the eyes of their hearts to see the truth. And in verses 31 and 32, it says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So what do you have here? Opened eyes, burning hearts. These guys are alive. I mean, they're alive, really alive. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And then these guys had the honor of going and telling what had happened. And they go back and they report what they have seen. And so, you know, the women are there and Peter is there and all their stories are all coming together. And then Jesus is there. Verses 36 and 37, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst 
he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. The old ways die hard. Our old ways of, of thinking and living are so deeply ingrained. And we have to unlearn so many things, you know, in following Christ. To be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Learn to think differently. Verse 38. Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And these questions are not just for the ones that were there that night. They're for us. Maybe you find yourself troubled on Easter. Maybe troubled by the, the shame of your past or maybe anxiety about your present or maybe fear about your future. Jesus invites you to come to him. He says in verse 30, 39, look at my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Jesus invites you to touch him and to allow him to touch you. And when he takes over your life, he takes care of everything else. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? You see, God has already taken care of the greatest thing. He gave his son to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead. The greatest issue in life, our greatest problem has been resolved. Our sin problem has been taken care of. He has defeated sin and death. His greatest gift includes all his lesser gifts. <laughs> Takes care of everything else. But you must come to him. In order to one day come to the Father, you must come to the Son. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> Tony Evans is a pastor in Dallas, and he tells about an old barber shop that he used to go to to get his hair cut at. And uh, you would walk into this old, old shop, and there was a big sign that was prominently displayed where everyone who walked into that barber shop could see it. And the sign said, and God we trust, everyone else pays cash. <laughs> Don't even think about whipping out a piece of plastic. Don't get out your checkbook. Cash payment only accepted in this place. God says the only payment that he accepts that will resolve our sin problem is the payment of the cross when he bled and died for our sins. And how do we know that he truly did that? How do we know that he was truly the Savior who was dying for our sins? Because he was raised from the dead. Everything that Jesus did and everything that he ever said is vindicated and validated by the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is alive, and he invites you to know him as your Savior and Lord and King.
Let's pray together. Lord, our minds are blown by the goodness of the gospel. The good news that you so love sinners like us, that you gave your son who had no sin, but who on the cross became sin for us and died in our place and paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you and then was risen from the dead, defeating death for all who trust in him. And that invitation is for you, friend. If you don't know Christ, turn to Jesus right now. Turn to him and trust him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon him right now. Cry out to him from your heart. Lord Jesus, save me. I believe that you died for sinners like me. I believe that you were raised from the dead, that you live, and I turn to you now. I turn from sin and self and trying to do life apart from you, and I turn to you, and I trust in you. I rest in your finished work, that you died for my sins on the cross and that you were raised from the dead. I rest in you alone. Turn to Jesus and trust him right now. Christian, what does this mean? The reality that Jesus is alive. This is meant to change our lives. He's opened the eyes of our hearts and we're to have burning hearts for him. Lives transformed by the gospel. And so Lord, right now, would you work in our hearts this Easter day, Lord, may we live for the risen King on this side of the resurrection as we await his return. And it's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 